Welcome back, everybody. This is Eric Ellison with uh, Digital Education Podcast. And as if you've been listening, we've been doing a weekly series on the the book slash research that we did called Future Ready. And in that research, we had an opportunity to visit um, 11 schools and to do kind of a, a, a research study on 11 schools on how they're dealing with issues of, of innovation, sustainability, accessibility at their schools. And it's a great opportunity. And today I get to speak with Stephen Carter, who's Director of Entrepreneurship at Cincinnati Hills, Cincinnati Hills Christian Academy. And, and one of the things that's interesting about this is I didn't get to go on that visit. So I've this is the first time I'm meeting Stephen. So all I know about Stephen and his work is either from other people that went on that trip or that what we've even shared in the book. And so, Stephen, I'm excited to learn from you today and to dig at some of these ideas of entrepreneurship, of, of learning and teaching at school, but then the doors that it's open for you. But just start really quickly, like, you know, with us, how did you get started? Like, did Cincinnati Hills say, hey, we want to have an entrepreneurship program, so we go out and hire somebody and start this program? Or how did it get started for you? Or did you start internally as a teacher and then just take incremental steps along the way? Well, thank you, Eric, uh, first of all. And, I, and I'm thrilled to be here on this podcast. And I'd like to give a little disclosure to the listeners. I get pretty excited. And so my apologies if uh, if, if if I just you know start rambling on here because I tell you, I personally believe there has never been a more exciting time to be in education. And that flies in the face of what a lot of people are saying, you know, especially at the, the K to 12 level, you're going to hear this, you know, kids can't learn, kids are too distracted. Oh my gosh, this is such an exciting time. And so to your question, Eric, I began as an English teacher here at the school. So if you flash back to a uh, when I was 23 years old, my ultimate goal at that point was to be a professor of English literature modeled after my wonderful mentor, Dr. John Getz from Xavier University right here in Cincinnati, Ohio. I wanted to be Dr. Getz. And so I knew the best path for that after I got my master's at Xavier was to teach for a year or two at high school, search out a PhD program and jump into it. So I, I got the job here at CHCA. And Eric, I would say... Two weeks and one day in, I have this epiphany moment where I realize I am at a school where I am loving teaching. So I, I go to my mentor, Dr. Getz, and I say, Dr. Getz, I something weird is happening. I I I think I'm really enjoying teaching high school. And I was expecting him to, you know, be like, look, Stephen, like you you'll get over it, you'll get past it. Instead, Dr. Getz grabs my arm. He says, Stephen. He's like, if I had to do it over again, I would teach high school. I would teach high school English because at high school, you can still make a difference. And by that, he was referring to what he was explaining as sometimes you get students who are jaded coming into the English literature program and they either know it all or they're just taking it because they have to check out, check a box. He's saying you could change a life. And I remember that conversation. And, and here I am 16 years later at this same school and every bit as excited as I was back then and even more so. So if you, if you go about nine years into my time here at the school, 
we began a program where we had a mobile coffee cart. Now, I want you to picture the jankiest, you know, rolling kind of cart with, uh, with with a couple coffee pots. And we basically said, hey, let's give the students a chance to run a business. I mean, think lemonade shop with a little caffeine. And that first year, these kids grossed $3,000 in sales. And you would have thought that they were Richard Branson. I mean, this was high stuff and it was really kind of fun. You know, it was exciting, but it was a club. I mean, this was an, this was a, you know, here and there pop-up kind of thing. And the teacher who was really spearheading it left to actually go uh, pursue becoming a priest. And I was approached by our then principal, Dr. Dean Nicholas, and I'll just throw an aside here. Many of the wonderful components that you hear about Cincinnati Hills Christian Academy are due to Dr. Nicholas, a fantastic individual. He's our current head of school. He is pioneering innovation in education. So shout out to him. He came to me and he said, Stephen, look, I know you love teaching English, but I got to tell you, I have a feeling that you are going to be the right person to take this mobile coffee cart and do something with it. So I said, all right, well, I'll I'll tell you what, why don't you, uh, why don't you give me $25,000 to build a really cool coffee bar and we'll see what we can do. And he said, well, we're not going to do that. Instead, have your students write a business plan and maybe they can get a loan from our business office. Well, I mean, I want you to picture getting a loan from our CFO is every bit as difficult as you might picture from a reality TV show. And so here I had a group of 10 students writing a business plan. We've never done anything like this before. And we proposed a loan for about $25,000. Well, we got a loan for 10000 And it was, uh, this was the best part. It was interest-free for three years. Now, again, with our CFO, This was a legally binding document. There were fees baked into this contract if they were late with any of their payments. So we had a very real conversation with these students like, look, this is the real deal, okay? I mean, you're paying this sucker back and you're going to do it as quickly as possible. So we built an actual location, a physical location for this coffee bar. And ever since then, the coffee bar has grown incrementally each year. This year in gross sales, the students running the coffee bar are going to gross $50,000. So it's a legitimate business. They're running it, they're managing it, they're dealing with inventory and customers. And this was that little snowball at the top of the mountain that created that momentum into what is now, quite frankly, an amazing entrepreneurship opportunity in the form of an academic program for all of our students, even going down to kindergarten. Where we are now, we have five student-run businesses, 12 elective courses. We have a certificate program complete with a capstone project. We have a podcast. We have guest speakers. We have regular events, which bring you know hundreds of attendees to the campus. We have opportunities for internships. We have students who are pioneering what it means to think like an entrepreneur. And Eric, this is where the program differentiates itself. We're not just churning out entrepreneurs. What we're doing is giving students the opportunity to learn to think like an entrepreneur. Because if you think like an entrepreneur, you will experience success in every area of your life because you're going to have that mindset that's going to fuel you into these different core academic and program benchmarks that we have. So when I say I'm excited and people will often say like, hey, Stephen, how you doing? Instead of the traditional answer of, you know, I'm good, I'm good. I got to tell you, Eric, I am pumped 
because things are rolling, kids. I mean, you want to talk about something exciting. How about sophomores getting revved up to come into our greenhouse to plant lettuce because they know that 45 days from now, they're going to be selling it to a restaurant across the street, and they're going to see the sticker that they handmade on that restaurant's menu, and their parents are going to eat the salad that they supplied to this restaurant wholesale. That's that's a life-changing experience right there for these kids, and we're seeing it right here on our campus. All right. So, Stephen, so many questions, but I know, you know, time <laughs> is only limited and I'm a talker, too, and I can get excited. So I love that there's excitement. There's pumped. You know, you talk about being pumped and that no better time. And we say this all the time in our work, you know, in the work that I get to do at Baylor. You know, there's no better time to be in education. Um, so a really quick question before then, I want to dig into entrepreneurship, because I think I'll lose this train of thought if I don't ask it now. Because you you mentioned this, a lot of times schools with innovation or with changes or with something like this, and it's interesting that you're an English teacher that kind of led into this, that that this becomes a parallel program to the educational kind of endeavor, right? So things stay the same in those English classes. I was a history teacher, the history classes and all that. How does this interweave and add like that energy that you have adds that energy to the school and it becomes part of the bigger whole rather than a parallel program. I love that question, Eric. And, and the answer is through our core why. I mean, we, we are Simon Sinek fans through and through over here. So the golden circle is integrated into everything we're doing. And our why for this program is we're providing hands-on innovative education to meet today's learner where he or she is. That's what we're doing. And in doing that, it's actually revitalizing an interest in how some of these core subjects are taught. I always sort of laugh that as a teacher, especially at the high school level, the number one question you get from students after, may I use the bathroom, is when are we going to use this in our life? And as an English teacher, that's a little bit of a tough question because you're teaching Moby Dick to juniors and you're like, listen, okay, the whale, I mean, this is a metaphor for death. And the students are like, okay, but I'm applying to colleges right now and I don't really know the connection. And you're like, oh, trust me, you're going to use this. Here's the cool thing, Eric. When we're teaching the principles in our program and our benchmarks, and uh, here's an example, when we're teaching compound interest in our financial literacy class, you know, the question we don't get they don't ask, when are we going to use this? Because intuitively, students know when there is value that is being offered that they can glean. And in many ways, you've given them the opportunity to then seek the value in those learnings that they can then take to many of these core classes and say, all right, well, how, how can I apply this in this hands-on mindset that I'm now using? One of the core benchmarks we have is seeking opportunity. Well, you want to talk about an opportunity. How about you take that class where you're learning this concept? How can you apply a piece of that today and see those ripple effects in your life? So it's actually worked out well to sort of weave into that existing curriculum and mindset. Uh, it's incredible. And then it just leads me to so many other questions. But I want to go back to a statement you made about kind of innovation and change in, in education, and in, in I've been in all kinds of schools, startup schools, but then big district schools and then, you know, private, fairly innovative schools. Um, and you talked about the snowball effect. 
right? And so then you started nine years ago, and then there was this, you know, started the coffee cart, you know, and then the business plan, and then, you know, things start getting rolling. So often in schools, we can go to top-down innovation. We're going to do this, and, and then we implement something you know, whole and all full rather than take this idea of seeding change and growing opportunity and that snowball effect. From your experience as director of entrepreneurship, but then also your lived experiences building this program and working with these students, how would you encourage educators to restrain themselves or to think differently about innovation as being cultivating or incubating innovation rather than the top-down implementation of change? I I also love this question, Eric. These are fantastic questions and thought-provoking concepts. And you're you're 110% right. Coming from a school that has for a long time viewed itself as innovative and really has been leading the charge there, I'll give you a key example of when this did not work. And, and my apologies to uh, anyone who's listening who might get offended by this, but we had a campaign several years ago where we decided, and by we, our administrative team, of course, decided uh, we wanted to be on the cutting edge. And at that time, the cutting edge was makers spaces, right? You know, oh, maker spaces, maker spaces. Well, then, right when we were finishing this campaign, it switched to innovation spaces. So we built three innovation spaces. I mean, awesome, you know, huge, great photo opportunity. Okay, Eric, I can probably count on one hand the number of times those spaces have been used for something innovative. Okay, because that's what, exactly what happens. You, you build the space and it's not field of dreams. Okay, they're not going to come. Instead, you build the space and teachers are like, okay, great, but I've still got to teach this and I have this unit and I have this planning. And when am I supposed to come up with something innovative to do in that space? You know, it's not, it's not going to happen. Here is what made this really interesting. And, uh, and again, I'm going to keep shouting out to Dean Nicholas. Dean Nicholas even said, look, we already have an innovation space and it's called the coffee bar. And, you know, he saw immediately that the value was in where the students are attracted and where they thrive. What made our innovation spaces actually take off was a really cool concept where we created a teacher innovation fund, which was essentially a grant where teachers could then pull from that fund after they submit their grant proposals to say, hey, I've got an idea, but it's going to cost $20,000. And that way, the school, instead of saying, how are we going to get $20,000? They were able to say, okay, well, we have a fund. If you can prove that your idea is going to pull in innovative concepts and somehow use this space to pull in students, it's going to be a success. So a kind of a word to the heads of schools and the administrators out there, I, I would caution you against saying, hey, we're going to do this. And instead say, what would it look like if we start thinking like this and give the freedom to really explore those areas, you're going to be blown away. We get schools all the time who say, oh, we should build a greenhouse. We should build a teaching kitchen because that's what CHCA has. And I say, hey, great. If you want to do that, we'll help you. But listen, it might be an automotive body restore shop for your school. It might be a school store. It might be a, a technology startup. The point is not the thing. The point is the mindset and the freedom to explore that that makes this a success. Oh, that's in, it's incredible to think about. And that, and that was one of the things that I loved about, you know, just even my knowledge of CHCA and studying CHCA in particular was the empowerment of teachers through that, 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 you know, innovation fund and that through that fund to be able to say, hey, we have dollars if you have ideas and to really invest in people. And that's one of the big things we found in our research was that the school's 
really had this mindset of investing in their people and investing in and I'm really interested from your perspective because you know you've had a lot of experiences and what does it mean and I think this is a this is why it's so great to be in education right now what does it mean to actually have this mindset towards even our students Whereas like when I went to school and I think even when I started in professionally as an educator, it was we were doing this to kids, yeah. right? And and it's like, we, we got to make them fit the box and we got to, and there has <laughs> been this unleashing. I, th- I, I live in Silicon Valley in San Jose and I see it here, this unleashing of, you know, human potential in kids, right? And so, so talk about like, what does it mean to have that mindset towards kids, but then also to have you know, kind of this idea of you reinvesting in them as they grow and expand their opportunities. Absolutely. And this is core to the very ideology of the entrepreneurial mindset. And it starts with the people that are running the program. And our core benchmark, the thing that that supersedes everything else is the growth mindset, which that gets thrown a lot today. But Carol Dweck is, of course, the leading expert on that with her work mindset. And what I love about teaching the growth mindset is understanding that it's a shift. The the previous paradigm, uh, the educational paradigm you were describing, which is that box mentality, that's the fixed mindset. You're good in math or you're not good in math. You can write or you can't write. Well, that's baloney. Okay, that's ridiculous. The growth mindset says you can improve in any of these areas. She talks, Carol Dweck talks about the school in New York that uses the not yet as a designation instead of failing. Think about that concept that you're teaching kids is you don't get this yet, but you will and you can. And so our program rests on the foundation of we are going to help you understand how to move from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset. But Eric, where this is key is we're not coming in and lecturing like, oh, you got to have a growth mindset. No, we're giving them the language. But then we're putting them into these real world scenarios where they have to decide what kind of mindset am I going to have? And then when we debrief after the fact, it's like, oh, yeah, I was kind of in a fixed mindset there. How could I have done that differently? And that leads to our second benchmark, which is grit. Another shout out to Angela Duckworth, who's got a fantastic work on this. If you haven't read her book, you need to. I love how she takes grit, which has for so long existed solely in the realm of athletics, especially around Olympic athletes and things like that, the champion mindset, right? but then put it into the educational framework, tied it to the growth mindset. Because if you have that growth mindset, you believe that you can become grittier, which I love. Because if you're an entrepreneur, you have to be gritty. And and if you've got a fixed mindset, you might say, well, I'm just not a gritty person. No, you can become one and then you can become even grittier. And that leads to number three, which is redefine failure. We seek opportunities for our students to fail. That that's that's crazy. That flies in the face of what traditional education says. We want them to fail. Because when they fail, they realize true failure is not trying in the first place. And then you take them into our, our fourth benchmark, which is problem solving and opportunity seeking. We can't sit around and wait for opportunity. We have to chase it down. We have to demonstrate that to our students. I mean, when you have this opportunity to to take a coffee cart and turn it into a coffee bar, you got to chase that down. You got to work. You got to have the grit and resolve to do the business plan, to get the loan, to do those pieces. And so many times people might say, well, that's too much work. That's, that's too hard. But if you're modeling that and showing the students that, 
it it carries forth. And one of the things that makes our school unique as a as a Christian school is we do have a strong emphasis on generosity and empathy and imbuing that within the core fundamentals of our program is how do you think about being an entrepreneur from a generous mindset? How can your problem solving be from the perspective of making the world a better place, impacting change on a global level? And then finally, the last benchmark we have is effective communication, because let's face it, that is something that everybody can improve on. And if you've got the growth mindset toward effective communication, you can be a better communicator. We love putting our students into scenarios where they are uncomfortable and they have to talk to adults. And afterwards, although they were uncomfortable and hated at the time, they're always grateful because they learned and they grew and they became grittier as a result. So I see this mindset as something that can be infused into curriculum at every level. In fact, and I won't be lengthy on this, but I'll say that here at CHCA, effective going into next school year, we are creating opportunities for curriculum benchmarks at every grade level, K through 12, that will include language around the entrepreneurial mindset and these six key ideas so that even our kindergartners are going to begin understanding the growth mindset, the development of grit, redefining failure, opportunity seeking, generosity, and effective communication, and applying that in all areas of their life. And I'm, I'm telling you, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to blow us all away. I, I love it. I love it. And especially because I think living here in Silicon Valley and having a lot of friends who are entrepreneurs and work in venture capital and all those types of things, I talk to them all the time about the ethics of it. And there is an incredible like, and I worry about this a little bit as it 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 it, 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 it kind of creeps into our work as school leaders and in, as educators is the ethics of it. Right. And so for you to like start off with like, hey, here's our why as a school and here's how we talk about it. And then here's how we bring it to life and here's how it gets integrated. It's this really interesting idea of, you know what, that this is this is a mindset that that kind of it, it, I don't know, infects not may probably not the right word, but it, it, it embeds itself in all aspects of of the work that you're doing, which I love. Let me let me ask a question about generosity, because I think this gets into like even that snowball effect that's maybe multiple snowballs now is you start with a coffee cart, you built this kind of program, it's kind of gone K to 12 now, you've got courses, you've got certificates, you've got student run businesses, you have all of these things internally, but there is a generosity. And one of the things that we found in the research was that the schools that were focused on innovation, sustainability, accessibility also had a generosity outward. Um, tell us a little bit about how it's not just been about people coming to you and say, hey, how can we learn from you and maybe copy or be inspired by? And and but, you know, as you talk about, you know, the students and, and them being generous through this process, how is the school and how is your work? kind of, you know, made you generous where it's like you share the good work and you you get to do that good work more globally rather than just even locally at your own school. Absolutely. And there are so many avenues for this, but I'm going to pick one in particular that I think really highlights this point. And it's going to be a little weird at first that this is part of our program. Um, the entire program is the Entrepreneurship and Sustainability Program. And within that framework, we have many different moving parts. We have an entire segment dedicated to agriculture and discussions about sustainable agriculture, to culinary arts. We have a teaching kitchen and then, of course, to small business. So a lot of different focuses. But the teaching kitchen is especially unique in that the, the purpose behind that was – 
uh, you know, both entrepreneurial and educational. But then there was also this other idea of creating a movement and creating a larger idea around nutritional discussions for young adults. Um, the real quick backstory here, Eric, is when we were in the beginning stages of looking at this, I went to a conference run by the Teaching Kitchen Collaborative, which is put on by um, Harvard University's T.H. Chan Public School of Health and the Culinary Institute of America. And Dr. David Eisenberg, who runs this collaborative, was explaining how you know it's expanding to hospitals and wellness centers, Stanford University, Compass Group, and Google. And I'm there representing a school in Cincinnati, Ohio, right? So I'm a little out of place, fish out of water. But I said to him, I'm like, look, uh, Dr. Eisenberg, we're going to build a teaching kitchen and we're going to join your collaborative. And I was kind of expecting, you know, sort of like, oh, that's cute, you know, whatever. And said he grabbed my arm and he's like, Stephen, he's like, if we get into K to 12 schools, we're going to change kids life forever because of the nutritional awareness we'll be able to bring. He said, come back in five years when your kitchen is built. And 13 months later, we called him and said, sir, our kitchen is built. We're ready to join your collaborative. He said, well, I mean, you got to have an actual kitchen, Stephen. So I sent him some pictures. He was blown away. We became the first school in the nation, K-12 school, to join this collaborative as of this past January, January 22. And the collaborative run by Eisenberg is already looking at our school as the prototype for what will become a nationwide movement around the transformation of how we do food in schools from a nutritional perspective and how we educate around food. And so when we talk about generosity and empathy and creating worldwide change here, we're looking at creating a program where we are literally writing the curriculum for K-12 to that we are going to be sharing with this collaborative and their outreach to specifically impact on, on kind of the first wave students who are at risk or from food insecure backgrounds to help create teaching kitchen opportunities in their schools that will have a dramatic impact on their life and their health and will change really the trajectory of where they're going from that perspective. And we're doing it from the entrepreneurial mindset. This isn't about financial gain or things like that. This is about the right thing to do. And we're doing it right here in our own backyard. We have a campus downtown Cincinnati called Arm Leader um, that's a tuition-scaled campus. And many of the students at this campus are from food insecure backgrounds. We are currently raising money so that we can re-outfit their cafeteria into a teaching kitchen, bring in an executive chef, and show exactly how this can happen and be modeled in schools across the nation. And we're already seeing a lot of excitement around that. And it really kind of energizes our students because they're starting to see the bigger picture, the bigger why of what we're doing. Uh, Stephen, this is incredible. And I appreciate your time and energy and excitement. It gets me excited. And I can't wait to come visit since I got I didn't get to come this the first time. Um, so real quick, as we close out, because I know you and I, right, could keep going. <laughs> and there's actual real work to be done today. Um, but the question the question I have is if people want to get connected or if they want to learn more, or if they want to, you know, kind of you know, just see, even see where should they go to to kind of get some of the introductions to you? the program and some of the work that you're doing. The best place is to follow me on LinkedIn, connect with me on LinkedIn, because I use my LinkedIn account to really promote what we're doing with the program with the specific mindset of reaching schools, universities, people at, in educational uh, in the educational world. So 
connect with me on LinkedIn, Stephen Carter. Um, you'll find it under uh, an LLC that I run called Seed Tree Group, which is related to the personal finance stuff that I do at the school. But follow me on LinkedIn. You can email me directly, Stephen with a ph dot Carter at chca-oh.org. And I'll just say, Eric, uh, in conclusion, that I want to connect. I want I want to talk. You know, if you've if you've got ideas, questions, insights, if you want to come visit, we actually have an event uh, coming up in March where we are bringing schools in to see firsthand what we're doing with entrepreneurship in the hope to spread awareness and and spread the movement. Stephen, incredible work. Keep it up. Thank you for sharing your time and your energy and excitement with us today. Absolutely. Thank you, Eric. I've enjoyed it.